location because as I mentioned before to those who were here, he usually a guest headache does not want to book people don't want, does not want people to know that he's a gay headache. He wants to blend with the people and that's why he's not he's unusual and will come out in public. As a matter of fact that was in in Williamsburg and uh, there was a Heimish the guy who got married to a Gioides, and he asked me Ashila he asked me whether whether people should know if his wife is a Gioides. and so just to show you the nature of a gay tzedek, usually they don't want people to know. My Yiddishkeit, how did that start? It? I come from Puerto Rico, and where I lived, across the street from, from my home, there was a bar. And people used to get drunk in the wild life of a boy. And there was fights and arguments every night. And, and I used to look at them and say, when this place is going to close down? Because I used to come late to school because of them. And one night, in the middle of the night, an earthquake started. And I know that probably here in Cincinnati they don't experience such a thing as an earthquake. I was in Los Angeles and people said, oh, yo, I know what that is. And when everything starts shaking, you are out of control. And it's a tremendous paja. It's a tremendous fear. You think that you're going to die because you think that the ceiling is going to fall on you, that the earth is going to open and swallow you. And so we ran out of the house, the entire family ran out of the house. And the first thing that I saw across the street was all the people that were in the bar. They came out running in fear. And they became very religious because when you think about dying, people become religious. So they went on their knees and they started praying. Oh my God, forgive me, I promise I'd be good, I'm going to behave, I'm not going to do this anymore. In Spanish sounds better. <laughs> Ay Dios mío, perdóname, voy a ser bueno, no voy a hacer esto más. And when I heard this, I saw their tears, I saw how they, they wore. And I said, uh oh, the bar is going to close down. And that's it. No more bar. The whole earthquake was about 30 seconds. After 30 seconds, the big bully, Pedro, he looked to the sides. There was a dead silence. And he started saying, Pablo, are you okay? Juan, está bien? Ivan, está bien? Everybody okay? Let's go back into the bar and do what we were doing before. And they went back to the same things. I was 14 years old, but at that moment, I had a question. Obviously, they knew that what they were doing was wrong because immediately when they thought about dying, they started doing tshuva. But we're not gonna die? Okay, so let's continue doing what we were doing before. That dishonesty bothered me. So I started asking first, I started asking kids my age, you saw what happened over there? You saw what happened? You know, Pedro, the big bully, crying like a baby, doing sugar, and the other ones. And the response of the kids were the same. That's life. Get used to it. 
That's reality. Don't ask so many questions. I said, it can't be. That can't be life. So I started asking around until I came to my mother. I said, Mommy, you see how these people are? I don't want to live a life like that. I want to, give, I want to live a good life. So if I'm going to die, I'm going to not die without fear because I did right things in life. I don't want to die and do wrong things and knowing that I'm doing wrong. And only when I remember I'm going to die, that's the only time that I'm going to remember there's a God. I want to start all the way from the beginning. And my mother told me, you know that I lived in Brooklyn, New York. I live in a neighborhood called Williamsburg. And around that area, I saw the Jewish people. I saw how they live, their life, lifestyle, how they talk to each other, they relate to each other, their religiousness. I think that the only place in the world that you're going to find the, world, the life that you're looking for is with the Jewish people. So you could imagine, even though I was 14 years old, but you cannot ignore, everybody knows about the Jews. I grew up in Christianity, so always there was this, the Jews came out of Egypt, the Jews received the Bible, and the Jews of the Bible, the Jews and the Jews and the Jews. And I always used to ask, what happened to the Jews? God forsaken them, you know that, whatever. So then this is how, how they ended the conversation, but here they tell me the truth is by the evening. So my mother is telling me this. I had a, I had a bicycle, and the bicycle had a basket, and I said I'm going to sell newspapers, and I'm going to save enough money to buy a ticket to come to New York. And you could imagine periodicals, newspapers, newspapers, and I made enough money. And I bought the ticket immediately. What I didn't know was that Puerto Rico is a tropical island, and New York is not. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought the ticket for December. <laughs> and whenever you want to do something good, there's going to be all kinds of powers against you. So the kids. They came to me and they tell me, you're going to New York in December? Yes, what's the problem? Don't you know New York City is a big freezer? <laughs> and as soon as you get there, you're gonna die from cold and nobody's gonna even pick you up. <laughs> and I said, I don't care, God is gonna help me. And I came, I didn't look at all like I look today. I look like a regular Puerto Rican teenager. And I had a backpack a little jacket, I had no coat, $150 in my pocket, I remember, and that was it. And as the airplane was about to land, I looked through the window, and I see the whole city is white. It was snowing. First time that I saw snow in my life. And then the water looked black, like a dark color. You know, I'm used to Puerto Rico. Everybody has been in the tropics, they know it's beautiful blue, sky blue, the water. So for me, it was, okay, New York City is like a black, white, black and white city. And then, and as I came to the lobby, I went through the sliding door, and that's when it hit me. <laughs> ah! The cold wind, and it was snowing. To me, it looked like frozen coconut was falling from heaven. <laughs> and 
I'm shivering with cold and and all of a sudden there was an African American taxi driver there. He had rachmonas on me, and he asked me, "Where are you going?" And I tell him, "I'm going to the Jews. I'm going to the Jews." And he tells me, "Oh man, the whole New York is Jews. Where are you going to go?" My mother told me, "When you go to New to New York, make sure that you ask that you want to go to the Jews and go dress black and white." They are the religious ones. So I tell him, I want to go to black and white Jews. And he goes, black and white Jews? Man, you want to go to Williamsburg. And that's exactly the way he takes me to Williamsburg. And the car is going, finally arrived in Williamsburg. I open the door. He tells me, okay, this is Williamsburg. And guess what's the first thing I see? Lots of carriages. But not like today. Today they have these strollers. In those days they have boats, big ones, with big wheels, and kids were hanging all around it. And the kids were dressed with such aristocratic outfits, velvet, golden buttons, beautiful kashketelach, you know, the beautiful hats, and the aristocratic look of a Tzaniyastik woman. And then I see young kids my age, with glasses. In Puerto Rico, I never saw anyone with glasses. So to me, they look like geniuses. <laughs> wow, look at these geniuses with a hat, young, young kids. So uh, first, I felt that Jews are royalty, and then they're geniuses. That was my first impression. My second impression <coughs> was the eyes. Goja eyes are used to seeing negativity. And when you're exposed to all kinds of negativity so your eyes betray you even though when you're smiling but all that sad situation makes a person lose his innocence so the stare of a of a person who are being exposed to these things is not the same than the faces that i saw in williamsburg i look at the faces and they look intelligent and innocent at the same time you know what it means to be intelligent and innocent at the same time so I said, oh, my mother is right. The Jewish people is a holy people. I want to be, but what I need to do, I didn't know what I needed to do. I'm here in the corner, snowing, cold, a different planet, a different, different planet I landed. And in the corner, there was a, a helpful store. And I'm there waiting, looking what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden, from the helpful store comes out a yid, long payers, long outfit, long white beard with a shovel in his hands and he's coming towards me. And I'm saying, uh-oh, this is Moses. <laughs> Moses is coming to me because I remember Moses with a long beard. I've never seen anything like that. I'm a long beard. And Moses is coming to me with a shovel. So I was a little frightened. But then he comes to me and he tells me, Shardash hey, night. You have to shovel the snow. <laughs> so if Moses tells you to shovel the snow, you're not going to ask him a question. I just went right away for it. And I started shoveling. And when I finished, I went into the, I went into the, into the store. And I said, Mr. Finish. And he goes, oh, very good, very good. And he gives me $6 on a rice cake. <laughs> so I look at the rice cake. And I said, well, Mr., something to drink? And he tells me, around the corner, there's a grocery store. Now, across the street, there was a grocery store. 
and there was a grocery store next block, but he tells me, go around the corner, there's a grocery store. Hashem is doing everything. Hashem is helping me. So I go on Lee Avenue, then I go on Wilson Street, and I go down the steps over there in the old-fashioned grocery store. I buy myself a pineapple drink, and I'm in the middle of drinking, and the owner of the grocery tells me, I'm looking for somebody to work in store for me. You're interested? I said, mister, no problem. Of course I work for you. No problem. <laughs> so he started making a map of Williamsburg, Lee Avenue, Bedford Avenue, the projects and all this thing. And then he tells me, you see these boxes? This is the orders. And you see this hand truck? You put the boxes in the hand truck and you're going to make deliveries around Williamsburg, okay? I said, okay. So I became a delivery boy. And I told mister, but to sleep, where are I going to sleep? So he tells me, upstairs, I have a little room. You can sleep upstairs and I take it down from your wages. So I have where to sleep. I have making deliveries. But I said, I came here to become a eat, so at least I'm here with, with Jews, so let me see what's going to happen. Now, New York City is a city that either people are running or they're coming from running, one of the two. You know, it's like, so I tried to speak to Yidin to tell them that I'm, excuse me, sir, I'm trying to become a Jew, maybe. And run away. <laughs> and the next one like that, and the next one like that. And I said, what's going on here? And then there was a lady, very peacefully. She was there next to the grocery, and she was moving the carriage like this. And I said, oh, this lady's going to have Rahmanus on me for sure. So I went over to her, excuse me, lady. I'm like, ah, she's screaming. I almost called Shambra. <laughs> and I said, this is not going to be easy. But then I crossed the street. There was, uh, there's the Pupa, Tamutoira, the Cheder. And kids... About six, seven kids started running into the grocery to buy nash, by Reese's. And that's the first time I heard Yiddish. To me, it sounded like somebody has a cold. <laughs> and say, so I'm, I'm going to ask the kids, but I'm not going to ask them I want to be Jewish, because I see what happened before. So I told them, what do you do on Saturdays? What do you do on Saturdays? And the kindle are going, Every reason was statement Shabbos. You want to know why we do Shabbos? On Saturday, they tell me, we make Kiddush. Yoimashishi, Vayichiri, and they start saying the whole, the whole Kiddush. And I'm trying to listen to every word they're saying. So that Friday night, I also took an empty cup, and I also tried to say Yoimashishi like that. And then, day by day, I learned something. I wanted to see different things in... in, in in, in Jewish behavior, what, 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 what I needed to learn. And every day the kids will come in and they will tell me a different thing. You know, okay, this is a, t- a tish, and this is a this, and they will teach me some Yiddish words. And they will tell me, you see, this is, this is tzitzes, okay? This is a couple, okay? And then they tell me, every day I try to learn. And I remember one Sunday, I was, I was, I see them, they are carrying these pillows, and it was a talisman throne. But I, what is this pillow? So, you know, for those who didn't listen to this before, so, so I wanted, I was wondering, what's this pillow that they're carrying? Talis and throne, but some little pillows and bigger pillows, and I wanted to know what this is. So I asked, I go because I went, once I saw the second floor, I saw them. They put the talis over their head, and I saw how how they put on this belt and on the arm. So the guy tells me when the Jews, you know, Jews like money. So whenever they count the money, they cover themselves with the sheep so nobody would know. 
And then they'll tie all this money into this tight box so nobody will steal them. And I believe that for months. And I see every day people counting money like that. <laughs> then, as the time was passing by, and you know, you have to be familiar with Williamsburg and the, the whole Hasidic atmosphere over there. People will come every day and try to, you know, I, I tried to speak to them. It wasn't easy. Until finally I told the kids, I want to be Jewish. What I need to do? So the kids tell me, you want to be a Yid? You have to have payas. You have to have a couple. You have to have tzitzis. So I said, okay, no problem, tomorrow. So I went to Hoffman's store. I bought a big black yarmulke. I bought tzitzis. And I took a machine and <laughs> and left the payas on the side like this. It looked like two little bullies on the side like this. And I walk into the grocery like that the next day. The owner of the grocery looks at me, hey, what happened to you? <laughs> and you could imagine in Williamsburg making deliveries like that. <laughs> I'm going down Lee Avenue, and people go right next to me. Are you Michigan? Why are you doing this? Are you a Yaspion? Are you crazy? Are you this? And I said, no, I want to be a... No, it's Michigan. You don't know. It's not for you. And everybody talk, say everything the same way, the same sequence. It's like everybody took a, a, a questionnaire and the same sequence of questions. Are you a spy, a spion? Are you a spy? No, no, I want to be a yid. I remember there was a South Maricoilo building. It's called Zupnik, Zupnik building. So one of them, he goes and tells me, what does it say over there? And I go, because I was already learning Hebrew, Benyuni Zupnik. And he goes, very good, very good, okay, okay. So, but I see, notice, I notice that people will give me such a they will ask me all kinds of questions, and then all of a sudden they go like this and disappear. And I was like, what happened? When are I going to become a yid? Now the kids, they saw me. And when they saw me, with the, already with the tzitzes, with the hole, the yarmulke, the hole. So they started talking in the back, and they started saying, Medafen Zogen, Medafen Zogen, Medafen Zogen. Like we have to tell them, we have to tell them. And I notice they have to tell me something, something important. So all of a sudden they come to me and they tell me, you want to be a yid? That's you, you're not going to have to be a yid, okay? You better to stay a good, okay? And I, I asked the kids, why is tzioini? It's Israel, Israel no good, okay? So could you imagine people started talking to me about Chalav Yisroel? Chalav Yisroel no good? Israel, no, Ahabas Israel, no good. They told me Israel, no good. It took me a long time to first start to understand what was going on. Then the kids will come in every day until I finally told them, I, I want to know how does the synagogue look inside. But I didn't know how to say synagogue. I said a temple. So how did the temple look inside? And temple, and the kids started going, temple? What's my temple? Temple? <laughs> Until one of them came, and mind the Baisamikdash. <laughs> and they started explaining to me, every day we checked animals, <laughs> and we sprinkled the blood in all the corners. And then the other one goes and tells them, the other one goes and tells them, Zogan the Ketoires, the Ketoires, tell them the Ketoires. And then they start telling me, there's a beautiful box. 
And inside they put all kinds of things, and then the smell goes all, all the way to Hashem, even on a windy day. And I said, I have to see this. <laughs> so, so I went around Williamsburg, walking around Williamsburg, and said, where is this? And maybe this building, maybe the other one, they're going to bring animals. And until finally the Klosenberg Girls School, the big building, it used to be a big shul. I said, over here for sure they're going to bring animals for this, for the sacrifices. So I stood there from early in the morning, and I'm waiting maybe from this door, maybe from the other door, until finally there was a yeet over there, and he looked at me, and I couldn't imagine what he must be thinking. So, so he goes, excuse me, what are you looking for? So I told him, when are you going to bring the animals inside? <laughs> and he goes, are you making fun of me? Get out of here, okay? So these are things that I went through in the beginning. Finally, Baruch Hashem, Mrs. Berger came. Suzanne Gesinterstag, she's still living. She doesn't be well. So she came with a, with a telephone number. And she tells me, this is the telephone number of Rabbi Goldstein. Rabbi Yaakov Goldstein, he lived in Williamsburg. But he, he, had, he was a menial in a yeshiva in Queens. So I called him right away. I told him I want to be a yid. What should I do? And he tells me, come over to my office. So I right away went to Queens to his office. And he asked me basic questions. I told him about the earthquake and what, what brought me here and everything else. And then he got up and he put a chair between me and him. And he says, we have a mitzvah in the Torah. Before a blind person, don't put a stumbling block. So he tells me, you're 16 years old, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to make you Jewish. There's so many responsibilities. Do you know that you're going to have to work on your middles, you have to learn Torah. And also we have a holiday called Yom Kippur. For 26 hours we don't eat and we don't drink anything. Can you do that? So I said, Rabbi, if I have to stand on my head to be a Jew, I want to be a Jew. And he said, okay, I'm going to learn with you. And you can learn and you can, you can do it whatever you want until the last minute. But once I make you a Jew, it's a one-way ticket. You cannot become back a goy. So you have to know and you have to be serious. So I said, I want to learn. And the first thing he started learning with me was about Talis and Twilin. So he says, you know what Talis and Twilin is? So I said, yeah, what Talis and Twilin is? Is that the bag? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's where the Jewish people put their money. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he said, no, that's not what it is. And then he said to me, you know, we have a system of gratitude called brochas. We have a brocha for everything. Because a Jew is not allowed to take his life for granted. And therefore, you have to, we have brochas for eating we have brachas after going to the bathroom. We have brachas every morning. When we open our eyes, we're already thanking Hashem. And I said, when I heard this concept of not taking things for granted, so what intelligent people. You begin your day already with gratitude because gra grateful people are always happy people. You see, I, in my whole life, I always understood gratitude and happiness go together. And in cloudy soil, that was my first lesson, gratitude, brachas. So he started teaching me brachas, and then from then he took me to, to Shulchan Uruch and Shabbos and so on. And after about a year, he, says, I, he said to me, I see that you know the basics, so I'm going to send you to a big dayan in, in Borough Park. His name was Ramosheh Bek, Zuchanayin Rav And 
Now, Moshe Bick, he, he spoke a perfect English. And he befriended me. He gave me a, a little bit of coffee with a little mezoinist. And then he started talking to me. And he says, so they tell me you want to become Jewish. You know what that is? Well, it's the Hashem's chosen people. You know how much we suffer? You know what you're getting into? The whole world is going to hate you. Yeah, but you're going to love me. Yes, Hashem. And I'm glad you're going to love me. And this is why I care. And then he started telling me, but you can become a friend of a Jew. You don't have, no, I am not going to, I don't want to be a non-Jew. I want to be a Yid. And he started to, he tried to, Benoya, maybe you can be Benoya. No, I want to be a Yid. And I was very, you know, strong in my, my convictions until he goes, I say, I see that you mean it. But there's three things that you're going to you're gonna have to have in mind. Number one, it's going to be almost impossible for you to get married. Everybody by us, they want to get married, people like us, with our own background, so it's going to be very hard for you to find a shidduch. Number two, you may find somebody that may make you feel uncomfortable and not welcome or make fun of you or something. We're not allowed to do that. But you have to be strong and don't get disappointed by people like that. And also you may see a yid that may do things that he's not supposed to. Be strong and don't be disappointed. And number third, he tells me to be a yid is a mentality. And to be a yid is, is a way of thinking, a way of doing things. You have to develop a Jewish way of thinking. Even though I live in America, he tells me, but I don't do American things. I do Jewish things. I sleep like a yid. I talk like a yid. I eat like a yid. We have our humor, sarcasm, we have politics, we have all kinds of things in our life that you have to get used to it. Otherwise, you're going to be like some kind of stranger in the corner. So these things are not in Shofanurah. It's just our way of living that you have to learn how to do. And I said, God is going to help me to find Shidduch. I'm not going to get disappointed if something happens like that. And also, I'm going to work very hard to develop a Jewish mentality. It took me years. That, that part took me years. And I remember, like I said, I'm a thousand percent sure. And he said, a thousand percent sure. He closed his eyes. And then he said, okay, we're going to accept you. And when he said that, I felt very, very relieved because I was getting somewhere. And after a few, uh, I went back to Williamsburg. The owner of the grocery tells me, they're going to make you Jewish, right? And I said, how do you know? I said, in Williamsburg, we know everything, he tells me. <laughs> A week and a half after that, I had a bris, Rabbi Goldstein, Dayonim were there, and they asked me that you can still run away, you can still change your mind. I said, no, I want to be a Yid. And after the bris, Rabbi Goldstein said to me, we're going to give you the name Avram, after Avram Avino, and Goldstein is going to be my last name because from now on you're going to be like my son. So I became Avram Goldstein like that. And then... A few weeks after that, I went to the mikveh. The mikveh has the power to make a non-Jew into a Jew. That's how holy a mikveh is. You go on, what is the idea? What is the gedank? What is the, the whole idea here? The idea is that you submerge yourself and you hold your breath because you're getting a Yiddish and a shaman. And then you come out of the waters and you breathe Yiddish air. You get a Yiddish and and then you make a bracha for the first time. And I remember the Rabbanon telling him, I have to repeat. And could you imagine the feeling 
came out worse right away, put on the film for the first time, davening. And then Rabbi Goldstein says, I go, he went to the waters, and a bochet came out of the waters, and now you're going to go to yeshiva. So he prepared yeshiva for me, yeshiva Samayach, in, in Mansi, and that's where I started. And then I went to, when I developed Baruch Hashem learning, so I went to Neris Royal in Baltimore. And because I was connected with Williamsburg, so I always had Hasidish tendency, I wanted to be Hasidish. So it was one of the, the first challenges that I had in, in, in Yiddishkeit is all the dresses, how I'm gonna go, how I'm gonna go dress in Yiddishkeit. That was one of the challenges. And then when I went to, to Yeshiva, so I began to see, okay, so this is Lishish, this is Hasidish, this is it. I began to see the, the diversity. But I wanted to learn in a Hasidish Yeshiva, but what not possible because of my, of my background, not having a Yeshiva background. But I heard that they're Bachrim in Monroe, Monroe, New York, in Satma Yeshiva, and they're Bachrim from Argentina, and they spoke Spanish. So I said, okay, so it's an opportunity. Maybe I could have Bachrim and learn Spanish in Spanish with me in a Hasidish Yeshiva. So I went to the Bayrach Moshe, the Satmar Rebbe, and I said, I want to learn in the Rebbe's yeshiva. And the Rebbe said, do you speak Yiddish? And I said, yes. So he says, Ad Rebbe, why not? You can come and learn in the yeshiva. And I told him, Rebbe, but I don't have money for Shara Limut. And he says, Hashem Bayrach is Avrom, Bakoel, Avrom meaning your father, he's going to pay the Shara Limut. So I became a Talmud in yeshiva there. I have shaykhs with Pupa and Hasidim also. I was counselor for many years in, 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 in Pupa Yeshiva, in Pupa camp. Uh, incidentally, here in, here in Cincinnati, I did not expect to find all the masseurs, all the travelings. And I, went, I found people from, that know me from Williamsburg from the beginning. I found out people from Buffalo. I found people from the Scranton. I found people from Muncie. All the travelings I found here in Cincinnati. It's interesting. But anyway, so I went to Pupa Rebbe to ask him what I'm going to do about Shiduchim. So the Rebbe, he started writing a letter. He gave me $1,000. And he says, go to Go With this letter, Hashem is going to help you. So... I went to Israel for Sukkot. They told me where to stand over there in Yerushalayim. You're going to find right away where to be for Yontav. In two minutes, I found where to be for the whole Yontav. And on the first day of Halamoid, one of the Talmidim, Rabbi Golson's Yeshiva, is walking, and I see him. Oh, I, and I knew him. And he tells me, he's going to Rabbi Yankov Meir Shechter, one of the Choshevi Yidin in, in Yerushalayim. He's going there. I'm going there for a brocha. Maybe you want to come with me? I say, I'll come. Sure, I'll go with you. I walked in, and Rabbi Yankomai Shechter tells me, I have a shidduch for you. Tell Rabbi Yid Frank, down in the street, a very choshevet Yid from Yerushalayim, tell him that I sent you, and he'll, he'll arrange it for you. I went to him, and he had oranges, and he received, he was so happy, and he tells me, Shimin Yatzeres, by the Sudan, by day at one o'clock, Come here, Mir Tashem, there's going to be a shidduch over here. You can imagine, for those things you have to be on time, by the way. <laughs> don't, don't come late to a shidduch, okay? Litvish, Hasidish, it doesn't make a difference. So anyway, so I came exactly on time. And, and the minute I walk in, they all get up, and there's my Choshev, Rebetzin, to start. And 
we, my, my Revson came from Mexico to Minnesota, and I came from Williamsburg, you know, could you imagine? So we started speaking Hashkofos, and they were very, very similar. And then we decided, okay, the Rebbeinu Shaloylam is the Shatchan, so there's not much here to talk about. So Motzayonte was the Tenoyim. That's how Hasidish it was. And then the Rabbonum, there were three Rabbonum writing the Tenoyim. And this is, again, this is how you appreciate Klali's Royal, okay? Three Rabbonum were writing the Tenoyim. There's no Mechatonim, no Koroivim. We don't know anybody there. And all of, one of them got up, and he goes to the window, and he goes, Again, Mitagi Oyves at Eighty people started walking. <laughs> and each one were carrying Shiraim from Yontef, you know. And they made a whole buffet table, and they started dancing with me like they know me forever. I had a lot of fun. It was very, very nice, Baruch Hashem. On the way back, on the plane, I was thinking, what kind of chassin I'm going to have? I don't know anybody. I mean, I, we're not related to anybody. I don't have any money. So I was going <coughs> to... When I arrived at the lobby, the same lobby that I came from Puerto Rico, there were nine Yingalat there waiting for me. Nine, nine people were waiting for me with that sign that said, Avron Mazotov with balloons and everything. And they started dancing with me over there. And they tell me, we're going to make you such a beautiful chasen. They said in Yiddish, we got the chazoy shine chasen The whole Williamsburg is waiting for you. I went to Williamsburg. And I got literally 250 schwiggers. <laughs> 250 mother-in-laws. You know what I mean? 250 mother-in-laws in Williamsburg? Each one with a plan of where the chasana should be, and which, uh, and which apartment I should take, and which cousin is going to give me a better deal. And then, how much I got to myself? And to try to make shalom between all of them. That was a challenge. And my Rebson, when she came, also was the same couple of spawning. So it was, a, it was interesting. And Baruch Hashem, I called my mother. I told, I became engaged. Oh, congratulations. I said, I want, I want you to come to the wedding. But there's rules, you have to dress a certain, you tell me how to dress, don't worry, I'll come. So she came, and you know, one of the Motsi Shemras when they talk about from people is that we're very narrow-minded people, it's not true. We're protective, we protect our way of living, but to say that we're narrow-minded, no. My mother came, and the ladies knew that they have to make a Kiddush Hashem, and they have to be Mekar of my mother. So they sat with her, and they explained to her, this is the Kabbalisponim, this is the Badekin, this is the Chupa. They danced with her, the whole Hasanet, they danced with her. And at four o'clock in the morning, my mother tells me, this is the most beautiful, happy occasion I ever seen in my life. And this is the most loving people I ever seen in my life. All my kids, they have to call me every day. You can call me once a year. And I am in good shape because you're in good hands. And Baruch Hashem, the time passed. Seven children, 14 grandchildren already, Baruch Hashem. And all Baruch Hashem, you will not be able to tell from my children that they grew up from, from Gatum. They became so blended into the community that Baruch Hashem, they know all the politics and all the Heimishes <laughs> They know the Finnish Mesechtas, Baruch Hashem, they know all the... And Baruch Hashem, they are L'Shem Ulatiferes, Baruch Hashem. Why I decided to speak in public? That is something I really... Because normally people would not 
do this? For two reasons. The first reason a father came over to me, a tata, at Sebrochen, a tata, broken, heartbroken, and he tells me, my son is walking away from Yiddishkeit. My son is walking away from Yiddishkeit, and he used the word glitch tavek, like he's sleeping away. He's listening, you know, like somebody, you know, like on, he sleeps on, on ice. A glitch tavek, and I have to sit down and think, what does it mean, glitch tavek? What does that mean? I know that a goy can become a yid, but what does a yid glitch tavek? How does a yid glitch tavek from Yiddishkeit? So I have to figure it out. The kid came, he was like probably 18 years old, and, and I said, What's happening? Why are you so so angry? And he tells me, I hate Judaism with a passion. I can't take it. I don't want this. I don't want that. I want it. He's saying, oh, why? He said it to the wrong person. So Hashem gave me Siyat to help this book. So this book was a lady. For those who didn't, were not here, so I'm just keeping that part of the story. And he was a, 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 a lady. And I said to, I took him to a music store where the owner of the store, Agoy, very knowledgeable in Jewish history. He wanted to be a, a Benoyach. So part of the dealings with me, he would ask me many things about Jewish history. So I told the, the gentleman, the owner, you know that this, this gentleman over here is a Levite, he's a Levi. So he goes, what? A Levite in my store? I can't believe it, such an honor. So he takes a microphone and he says to his workers, Stop working, everybody. We have here a Levite who is going to bless all of us. When I said that, when he said that, about like over 70 goyim, they're all lined up. And they're all looking at this prophet like he's some kind of a malach. Wow, a Levite. One. And he came to me and he tells me, when he sees what's happening, he tells me, what's he doing, Shane? What happened here? Tell him, I told him you're a lady and they all want a bracha from you. And he tells me, Are you Meshika? <laughs> and I said, You must. He's my customer. I don't want to lose him. No, and don't make a chilul Hashem. So he had no choice. And he started, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And he had to bless. He blessed everybody. And, but he started becoming very emotional from the experience. Because the Goyim are looking at him like, you know, wow, I got a blessing from the Levite, the, the tribes of Israel, you know. And he went to the car, and in the car he started really to cry. And I say, why are you crying? He says, this is the first time in my life that I appreciate what I am. This is the first time that I begin to realize my importance. And I said, I ask him, by the Bar Mitzvah, you didn't know you're a lady? Of course I know, but it's in the back, it was in the back of my head. And he tells me, Avram, when you grow up with something, you don't think too much about it. So I decided to speak in public because we cannot take our Yiddish guide, our mission. Next week, in Yitz Hashem, we're going to hear the partial Kabbalah Satoira and Yisroi. And by Yishma Yisroi, this whole Indian of Kabbalah Satoira and the courage that Gladys Royal had, Ledoira Doires, we cannot take that for granted. We have to, it has to be constantly in our minds. And that's the reason why I decided to speak in public, because again, a set, of, a set of eyes from a different direction. The second reason why I decided to speak in public was my family. For 25 years, I did not speak to my family in normal basis, just by telephone. After my wedding, 25 years, not talking to them. And one day my mother calls me and tells me, we're making a Thanksgiving Day party. 
all the family is going to be there and I want you to come. And I said, you know, it's like inviting a negotiable party and nobody here. So, so I said, I'm sorry, mommy, but that's not for me. It's not for me. You have to come. I want you to know all the nephews that you never met, all your family, relatives. So it's not for me. Then my sister called, my other sister called, my brother called, my father called. You have to come, you have to show up. So I said, okay, I have to ask a rov. I have to ask my mother what to do. So he knew my situation, this rabbi, and, and he says, go out of respect for your mother, out of gratitude for your mother, go there for 10 minutes, all by yourself, nobody else, and say hello and goodbye. I fulfill my responsibility of Kiddush Hashem. I prepared for a few weeks for this. I walked into this place with a big Yiddish smile. I go, hello everybody, how everybody doing? And they all started to cry. I was the only one smiling. And then I asked my sister, this looks like a funeral here, what happened? I thought this was supposed to be a, a party. And my sister tells me, I don't know if you notice, but you have such a happy face. Happiness is all over you. We envy you. We have, you know, so I asked my sister, you envy me? I mean, I, you know, I'm happy, I'm a yeet and everything else. And, you know, enough long a yeet already to also need chizuk, right? So, 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 She's telling me, I'm happy. And I look at the table, all kinds of, I couldn't even look what was there on the table. And you're not happy? And she tells me, why not? She takes me to the basement. And in the basement are all my nephews that I never met. 14 year old, 15 year old, 16 year old, 17, 18 year old, 20 year old. And they are all completely consumed by technology. Video games. And, they, and this one doesn't talk to this one, that one doesn't talk to the other one, and social media, whatever they're doing, but each one not talking to the other one. And they're all like, mommish, and this was supposed to be a family gathering. <coughs> so my sister comes down the steps with me, and my sister says, look who's here! Uncle Abraham is here! We spoke so much about him, he's Jewish! Say hello! And one of them turned around like this. Hello, Uncle. I, that was my whole Kabbalah's funny. That was the whole, my whole reception. So my sister tells me, you see, our kids are no longer our children. They're monsters. They have no respect for us. I'm afraid to ask them for anything. And every day that passes, they're farther and farther away from us. We have no nachas for them. We have no, nothing out of them. And every time I ask them for something, they use one word. Whatever. 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 That's the whole communication. When she said that, I said, this could have been me if I wouldn't become a Yid. I would have looked just like them. I went running home. I called my kids. I told them, we have to make the bracha Buru Shalosani Goy with a lot of kavon and gratitude to the Rebbeinu Shalom because I just came from where we could have been and you have no idea how much you gain because we're hidden. So tomorrow we're going to make the bracha with a lot of kavon and hakor satov to the Rebbeinu Shalom. 
And so that's one of the reasons I also decided to speak in public because I can also take what I have gained for granted if I don't remember all the mudic steps that the Rebbe Shalom did for me and all the nisam that Hashem brought me to Klal Yisrael, the right Klal Yisrael with the right people who gave me chesed, who gave me the chinuch, the sharasa plater, the sharasa plater, and that I should be able to come to them and be able to learn in a yeshiva and marry Baruch Hashem and raise Eloche Yiddush Kinder. And this is, you know, something that I have to say, I have to say it before the Rebbeinu Shalom, all these wonderful blessings of being a Yid. And um, now I could play, I could play one, one again? Okay. okay. I'm going to get my violin. Yeah. I brought my partner. <laughs> this will be improvised. Nothing could be better than improvised. My experience tells me that improvisation is the best. So I'm going to play a slow position again, you know. And you, you Come, Talik, you're the real player here. Come. <laughs> <laughs> this violin was made 200 years ago by Yid Rosenfeld. And again, it's a beautiful opportunity to play a violin made by Yid so many years ago. So in Ganeiden, he has a lot of nachas that I'm playing his violin.
there's a march. I'm going to play a march. Bobo the march from Kelodum. There's many marches in Bobo, but I'm going to play just one. Pirche and Egunem, so they're gonna love this one. Something Leibniz, some the Neumeli Melech. They call the dance of the Neumeli Melech. Mm -hmm. 
Ask in a service, the 